encourage you, if you have your Bible, uh, if you could open up at that passage, Matthew chapter 5, just at the, the very final of, of the Beatitudes that we are considering. And just as I was preparing for today, I had a, a memory of a place I'd visited on holiday close to, to 25 years ago. We were on the uh, west coast of uh, America, and uh, we were so close to one particular church that we thought that we would like to go and, and visit uh, this church. Uh, it was uh, Robert Schiller was the pastor there, and his church was called the, the Crystal Cathedral. Now, I was fully aware that some of Robert Schiller's uh, views would be uh, very strange and maybe not in line with uh, sort of biblical orthodoxy, but I thought it would be such a show to go and see uh, because this ch church was so well known, just the, the iconic building that they, that they put up because uh, it was literally all glass and that's why it was called the Crystal Cathedral. Uh, we should go and see it. And from one perspective, it certainly didn't disappoint. Uh, huge, big auditorium, uh, thousands of, of people in there. Uh, huge big organ and then it sort of pipes up its music which fills just the this, this sheer size of that and uh, everything in there spoke of, of wealth and prosperity uh, as the service began as the musicians would have been starting at the front uh, just at the back here these great big glass doors 200 feet tall glass doors open up to allow the, the Californian sunshine to enter into the building. So it was a magnificent show. Uh, since then, his ministry has gone bankrupt and the Catholic Church have bought it, so they're able to, to make some, some use of it. But on the Sunday that we were there, they were having a testimony spot like many we would have from, from time to time. And then a guy came up to the front and he had a wonderful American name. His name was Wally, uh, Wally Amos. And if you've ever had uh, a famous Amos cookie, uh, Wally was the, the guy who made that cookie brand. Uh, again, Wally, what he was most into, what the whole church would have been into, would have been simply boiled down to self-help and positive thinking. Now, Self-help is not a particularly gospel theme, as we will know, because the whole idea of the gospel actually is that we can't help ourselves, and because we can't help ourselves, that's why we need a saviour. That stain of sin, that sort of thing that we recognise about our lives that's always wrong, and we can't eradicate ourselves, we need Jesus. As uh, Peter writes, he says about Christ, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds we are healed. So that's why we need a savior because we can't help our, our, ourselves, but self-help was right where Wally was. And uh, his motif in life, if I would describe it, his, his theme thing was a watermelon. Uh, to the extent that he was, the video came into his shoes, black patent shoes, and on the tip of his toes were pictures of watermelons. And he had also uh, 
written, just written a book at that point called Watermelon Shoes. And he went on to say something about the fact why a watermelon was so significant to him is because the seeds are within, the, the, the secret, the strength of the watermelon is within and then it flourishes and, and it grows. And, and I couldn't quite figure why it was that realization was so dramatic to him, uh, but it obviously impacted his life so that everything he was doing was around watermelons. But he went on to talk about his life and all the ups and downs and how he wonderful at the start had a great business and then he lost it all and his life was, was going from, from rack to ruin until he said he became a Christian. At that point, his business got great again he got a new business going and he was richer than ever. And the thing is about that place is that everybody in that building, the minister who was conducting the interview, all the people there, Wally himself, all saw an immediate connection between the fact that he became a Christian and the fact that everything in his life was going well. Now, as I read the Bible, I don't think that we can actually make that connection. And that as act when we read the Bible, I think what it comes down to for, for me, and I'm hopefully you will agree with this too, is that you are not promised an easy life. There is no promise made to you that life will be easy. If you read some of the accounts that are in the Bible of some of the people that are there uh, that are mentioned and that you remember their story, you will see it was not easy for them. You can think of Joseph and how his brothers hated him to the degree that they wanted to kill him and then they relented, but they still sold him off. Moses was rejected by the very people he led. Uh, Elijah uh, was so... Uh, reviled by everyone else that at one point in his life he actually considered, hey, I'm the only true believer left. Nehemiah was opposed at every turn. Jeremiah was so hated for the words that he brought to his people that the people threw him into a cistern. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. His mates were put into a fiery furnace. You turn to the pages of the New Testament and that doesn't get any better when you realize that John the Baptist was beheaded. Uh, Stephen was stoned. Peter and John were put in prison, and that's not even going to think about any of the things that happened to Paul during his life. So there is never any promise made that life is going to be easy for you as soon as you would become a Christian. And actually, that can be a bit of a challenge for you right now, and wondering, because our experience of persecution is so different so as we're from the world at large, the church at large, what does this actually mean for us at times? Certainly initially, when you are harassed or opposed or belittled or slandered or whatever it is because you want to follow Jesus, because you're not ashamed of being known as a Christian, but when those things happen to you, it is so easy to think like everybody else. And the first question that you have is, why is this happening to me? Now, you can be honest right now, you have asked that question, haven't you? Why is this happening to me? It's the usual thing. But in this passage, you're, it's made quite 
plain because Jesus is giving a warning if you're following him, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So he's warning you that this is going to happen. And Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone, and that seems quite clear, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you're not promised that it's going to be easy. That's made plain. Now I want to go back and we just think a little bit about these um, Beatitudes because another thing about this final Beatitude is that I do believe this one is a little bit different from all the other ones that we have been thinking about. As on the occasion, certainly when I've been speaking about the Beatitudes, I've tried to think about how they link to one another, that there is this progression that leads its way through each of the Beatitudes in that uh, one leads to the next and so that there's something that is linking them. Um, so that you might think, maybe as you read later on in the Beatitudes, that actually that characteristic, that characteristic that God actually wants to bring, through which God wants to bring blessing into your life, you might think is beyond you, but the idea is that you begin at the beginning and then you work your way through and you see that God is working in your life and so there is this connection so that actually when you get towards the end, it is not beyond you so that you begin with poverty of spirit, then you mourn over your sins. The more that you mourn over your your, your sins, you just have this ability that you're actually able to trust God, that you can meekly accept, not weakness, but in strength, acknowledging what God is bringing into your life. You can, you can acknowledge that. And then as you begin to work your way through that, and then it begins to show into your life, there will be, you will hunger for righteousness. You will be able then to demonstrate mercy and being a, a peaceable person. All these things are happening because what these Beatitudes actually are is you if you look at them in their totality and you were to read your whole way through, what they are, in effect, is a summary of the whole Christian life. It's, it's what the Christian life and how it can be described in its global picture, as it were. So it's a, it's a summary for you. It describes what the Christian life looks like. But the final beatitude is a little bit different. And it's different because it doesn't describe what the Christian life looks like. But what it does describe is the outcome from a Christian life. In other words, what you can expect if you are a Christian, and there's two aspects to that. The first thing that Jesus says is that you can expect to be persecuted. You can expect difficulties. And the second thing is that you can expect a great reward. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. There's what you can expect. You can expect this persecution, but there's also a promise of a great reward. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So thinking again just what persecution actually means and thinking what persecution looks like in the world today, it will be diff our experience will be very different from aspects of the church where uh, it's deadly to be a Christian. 
Uh, we've been thinking about that already in our service today. Um, we've been thinking about the global church and just the strength of the global church that even when it is potentially going to cost your, your, your life, that people are still prepared to meet and to be named as a Christian. That's a great challenge to us, particularly, of course, in, in these days, that it's, it's of such importance to be seen to be a Christian and not to be hiding behind that and to, and to, and to just see real joy in, in worshiping and acknowledging that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And to think, these people, this is so serious and it's so passionate about it, then what does it say to me? So we will see persecution in the global sense. But there's also a sense, of course, I think we can see it locally, nationally. Uh, maybe not on the level that we will see uh, globally. But what I mean by nationally is sometimes we'll recognize that Christians do think differently from the world at large around us. And sometimes some of the law changes and things that happen, we, we get a bit... Uh, well, we feel that we're a bit a fish out of water in some ways, that we, we know that we think differently from everybody else. And our values are not accepted by others. And whilst then we accept the laws of our society and our community, we know that we still think differently. But there is still, I think, in society right now, today, an anti-Christian bias that it's really hard to express Christian views today. It's seen in many ways, I think, in what's called the cancel culture. You know, if someone is coming in to speak on a topic and people don't agree with that, the easiest thing they do, they put pressure on those organizers and say, cancel that event. We don't want that person to be speaking on that topic. And particularly if it's a Christian outlook, we don't want that person speaking on the university campus. We don't want that person speaking in that public sense. So we want to cancel that viewpoint. You go on to Twitter, you go on to Facebook, and you want to express a Christian viewpoint, and you will see just a, a, a huge amount of vitriol expressed against that, that viewpoint. Certainly in my year as moderator, you begin to see just so much of that. You say something where you're taking a stand for Jesus, if you're doing that publicly, whether it's a, a, a standard view, maybe it's on something like abortion, and just the, the viewpoint of a Christian that we don't agree with that, and yet the abuse then it has landed on people who would think that this is something that we do value, and we do think that life is important. So we need to pray for people who are in that public sphere and, and doing what they can to support Christ's cause. So, but we can see persecution globally. We can see it in that sense nationally, although it's still very different. And there's also a point at which I think we see it personally. If you are a follower of Jesus, it will touch your life, the opposition and the antagonism from other people. Now, it might be relatively low grade, it might be someone coming to you and maybe you're in a, in a work situation and they're just coming to you and saying, look, your Christian stance isn't welcome here. Maybe even what you've put up on Facebook or put up on Instagram, if there's a, a Christian aspect to that, they'll maybe say, you are not going to get on in life if you are overtly seen to be a Christian. So the best advice that you can do is just remove all of that so that you blend in with everyone else. And there's a sense that that is a degree of personal persecution. It can take a form of abuse or ridicule 
from other people simply because you want to be serious about following Jesus. And I could give a host of examples about all of that, but I don't need to because you're aware of those experiences and that sort of situation in your own, your own life because you know where you have been pushed. You know where people are making it really awkward and difficult for you, whether that's in school or whether that's in university, whether that's at work or whether that's even at home, wherever, simply because you're wanting to take a stand for Jesus and to be seen as a Christian and people are making that hard and difficult for you, that is your persecution. And all of that makes it hard for you to the extent that your response to that might simply be to go light on following Jesus. To make little of the fact that you want to be seen seen as a Christian. You just want to get by, you want things to be easy, so you just want to forget about the prominence of Jesus in your life, and perhaps that is where you are right now, that is what you are feeling, and that you just sense that pressure daily in your context. And if that is you, then I want you to see that what this beatitude is really about is Jesus' encouragement to you to take him seriously. To the extent that you will not be afraid of being known as a follower because knowing Jesus is such an important thing in your life that that is what you want to, to be seen. That's what you want to be seen first in your life. And when people think about you or talk about you, that you will be clearly seen as a follower of Jesus. Because you find significance and meaning in following Jesus, that then is what you are going to say is the most important aspect of your life. And actually, persecution is the devil's tool to make you go light on following Jesus so that you will not be the ambassador for God that God wants you to be. But you need to know that when you want to follow Jesus, when you want to put him first, when you want to live for him, it will get difficult. You will be mocked. When you want to follow the ethics that you find in the Bible, you will be ridiculed. When you don't party, perhaps in the way that other people party, you will be abused. So we need to remind ourselves maybe of words such as Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now those words are startling, even a little unsettling possibly. How can anyone delight in weaknesses? How can you be happy when your weaknesses are being exposed? How can you be be joyful about that? How can you be joyful when you're insulted or when you face difficulties and hardships and persecutions? How is it possible? It's possible because in those moments you realize that you are not strong, you can't fix yourself, and that you need to rely on Jesus more. Because Jesus will be your defense when you're accused. Jesus will be your security when you lack security. Jesus will be your strength when you feel weak. And Jesus will be your enough when you realize you've got nothing. So if you follow Jesus, you will see persecution. If you speak Jesus' truth, 
you will see persecution. If you live Jesus' life, you will see persecution, which is why we need the encouragement that Jesus gives us. In verse 12, where he gives us the promise of his reward. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, here's the satisfaction of knowing that comes from following Jesus, putting Jesus first. And if you need any more encouragement and strength for the week ahead, you can find it in the words of the psalmist, Psalm 84, reminding us who God is for each of us. Verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Our Father, as we are honest before you, we confess the times when we have not been resolute in our following and our chasing after you because it's been hard and difficult and people have made it hard for us and we've chosen the easy way. Lord, you call us to be distinct and you call us to be fearless. Lord, that's hard to think about how we might do that when we know it's in our strength, but when we realize it's in your strength, then we can be content. Lord, help us and help us encourage one another. And Lord, may you be glorified in ordinary, simple lives like each one of us this week. Amen.